the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Hey, could you, could you just put your hand on your heart? Just put your hand on your heart. And Lord, I pray that um, you will increase uh, our capacity to behold you, to know you. Um, Lord, that you would continue just to form your son in us. And uh, Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this body. Thank you for the life that's here. Thank you for the depth. Thank you, Father, for, um, for the coming move of God in Frisco, Texas, Lord. For what's, what's, what's starting, Lord, is unstoppable. And uh, I just, knowing the history, knowing your hand upon this community, Lord, I just uh, sense the fear of the Lord um, over over this moment, and so I just want to yield to you and ask for your presence, Jesus, in greater measures. We love you. Amen and amen. 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 Uh, I was just telling Jeremy, I, I haven't been up here in a while, and I don't know if you, you, you run into families that have little kids that have grown really quickly, and you're like, oh my gosh, you're turning into a young man, and uh, it is so cool to see uh, what's happening up here in Frisco, and uh, it's an honor to be here. Um, so I just see a lot of old and new faces. So thank you for, for having me. And it feels a lot like what's happening just south of here, uh, just people loving Jesus and creating a home for him. Uh, so it's an honor to be here. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's really amazing what God's doing in our nation. I had a friend that was at Asbury this week, and I texted him as he was leaving, and I said, what, what, did, you, you know, what did you experience? And I loved his description. He said, he said, I, I saw a cloud the size of a college student's hand. And that's out of First Kings 18 when Elijah saw a cloud on the horizon the size of a man's hand. And Elijah knew a flood was coming because of that. And uh, I believe that a coming flood, an outpouring of a spirit is coming. And you're like, well, it's just a small college in Kentucky. And uh, I think we all need to pray for and agree that this is going to sweep across college campuses. That, uh, that, that, and and I, I even have just been sensing, even the event we hosted here, Gen Z for Jesus, um, I, I feel like it's giving framework for a generation to really go after the Lord. There were uh, some students that were uh, a part of Gen Z for Jesus that were there. And I know that were, everyone's praying for a coming move, but he always begins with, with the young, with with the teenagers, with the young adults. And so uh, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord, what you're doing in our nation. Yeah. Amen, amen, amen. And I wanted to dote on the shucks just a little bit, if I could. Um, <laughs> I, I think we all want to give Ashley just a giant group hug. So can we just imagine that we're doing that right now? Um, we're all hugging you. We're all, like, ecstatic that you're here. I just want to acknowledge it and say we love you and it's like come on <laughs> yes we love you <laughs> amen i uh i was asked recently someone said what is we've we've planted a few churches and and planting churches is 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 really hard it's really hard and they said, what's the key to planting a healthy church? And without a doubt, I thought of these two. I said, healthy leaders make healthy churches. You can have a right theology, right structure, and the wrong leaders. But when you have healthy leaders, healthy leaders create healthy churches. And this church is healthy because of your leadership. It's healthy because of who's leading it. And I have had a front row seat over the last probably 
oh gosh, we have some history now, 10 years or so, I have had a front row seat to watch these guys walk through fire, walk through floods, walk through trial, and they have come out on the other side, uh, remarkably beautiful and glorious. And uh, I, I was thinking of this scripture, First, First Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I know Jesus. Jesus has been revealed to me personally by watching these two walk through trial, walk through fire. And, uh, and I, I, the description, I'm just going to keep doting on you, the description that I have for your leaders, and I want you to view them through this, it's, it's in Psalm 78. I was reading Psalm 78 this morning, and I thought, what? What an applicable scripture for Jeremy and Ashley. Um, I know I have Psalms in my Bible. <laughs> Just use my phone, dude. <laughs> Check out this scripture. This describes your shepherds. Um, it's speaking of David that, that was plucked from the sheep fields, that God found David his servant, took him from the sheep fields, and um, anointed him to be shepherd of God's people. And in the end verse It says, so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with skillful hands. And um, it was an internal and external. It was not just the skill that they had with their hands, but it was the inward integrity and honor and purity that he carried. And you guys embody that. So I just want to keep doting on you. You guys are amazing. You're incredible parents, incredible friends, incredible leaders, just faithful. And it's so cool to see the fruit of your leadership. So. Um, we love you. Amen. Um, I want to I lead us in communion. Is that cool? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach on it for a little bit, and then, and then we'll take it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we'll be if you have your Bibles. <clears throat> I, yeah, you don't have to open them yet. You just hold it. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I... This year down in Dallas, I'm every weekend, my plan is, uh, the Lord always doesn't honor my plans, but my plan is over the next 52 weeks or a percentage of those, if I'm teaching or, or our core team, uh, we're going to teach on the table of the Lord. We're going to teach on communion. We're going to teach on his broken body and his shed blood. Uh, and the reason why is I, I, I really sense... Uh, I really sense God highlighting this, not just to, to me personally and not just to, to, to our community, but I, I sense him highlighting it globally. And I, I, I say that, and I want to share with you why. Um, and we are uh, participating in a couple events that are centered around the table of the Lord. And when I say we, I mean we collectively, uh, Upper Room, Frisco, Dallas, just our family as a whole. Uh, we are doing a couple of initiatives. The first one is May 27th. It'll be in Estonia. Now, I don't know much about the Eastern Europe, and I had to look up where Estonia was when I first met Sergey. Pastor Sergey is a dear friend of mine, and it's a long story how we connected, but he's an apostolic voice to Eastern Europe. He's planted churches in Ukraine, planted churches in Russia. He's Belarusian, and... Um, he uh, has written a book about prayer and the presence of God that has really swept uh, the Protestant church there, just has been known as a leader and has been on his heart to host a gathering 
to repent and to cry out for God to end the conflict that's happening between Russia and Ukraine. And uh, the scripture that he had was Psalms 23, verse 5, that the Lord prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And he's calling the Russian church and the Ukrainian church to the table of the Lord to issue forgiveness. And, um, and so I had met, I'll get into it a little bit, I met Sergey via Zoom. Uh, uh, Mike Bicklin, some guys said, hey, let's hop on a call and pray for the church in Eastern Europe. And so there were a handful of us on this Zoom call. And the next week, I was at the Jerusalem prayer breakfast, and I ran into Sergey. I thought I'd only, you know, I, was, I didn't really know him, but I was like, you were on my the Zoom call this week. Are you from U- Ukraine, or where are you from? He goes, yes, I'm from Estonia, and I'm here just for this, this prayer breakfast. And so I had him over to my house. We had lunch that turned into dinner. He ended up staying at my house. And we just, this heart connection happened about a year ago. Fast forward six months later, I get a Zoom call from Lou Engle. Lou Engle is in Jerusalem and he has just run into Sergey. They've sovereignly met and Lou's a spiritual father in, in my life. And he said, Michael, and we're doing some events with Lou around the table. He said, we're going to set the table of the Lord in Estonia. We're going to call uh, the church in Russia and Ukraine to the table of the Lord. So we have a field that Sergey has got, uh, singing fields, the name of it, in Estonia. It can, it can hold up to, I think it's like 150,000 people. I don't know if that many people are going to show up, but we think tens of thousands are going to show up, and at the center of this field is going to be the table of the Lord. And uh, we are going to cry out and repent and ask Jesus to do what only he can in the churches, but also that this conflict will, will end. So that's event number one. Number two, Peter Lewis. Has, Peter's been up here a number of times. Uh, Peter, as well as hosting an event for our nation, July 3rd, uh, Independence Hall, which is where the uh, Declaration of Independence was, was signed in Philadelphia. Uh, we are calling uh, uh, hundreds, if not a few thousand pastors uh, to this this communion service, this national communion service. We're gonna cry out for God to move in our nation and just really call pastors to the table of the Lord. So those that are participating, we're asking them to lead uh, their churches in communion over a year period. So again, highlighting uh, the table of the Lord. And then the last thing we're doing is in September, we're hosting an event called Gen Z for Jesus. And uh, we did one in Frisco. How many of you guys got to come to the one in Frisco? It was awesome. We didn't advertise uh, a speaker or band. We just asked Gen Z through TikTok mainly. It was like, don't scroll, don't scroll. Come to Frisco, Texas and worship with us. And, and just under, I think it was just over 6,000 Gen Zers showed up from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And they worshiped all day. And so we're going to take this event to Southern California. And again, the table of the Lord will be at the center of all that we do and uh, focus on. And so I want to talk about the table of the Lord. I think it is very important. And my hope and heart is that this becomes a very comfortable place for you, that the seat that he has reserved for you and the table that he's prepared is a place that you go to regularly, if not daily. I think communion and uh, the Eucharist and the the body and the blood has become kind of like this religious sacrament that we do once a quarter or we do Sundays when we're at the upper room, but I believe you're supposed to do it all the time. That by default, this should be a place that you are so familiar with that when a fight breaks out, the Lord leads us to a table. When a fight breaks out, the Lord begins feeding us. And uh, as we feast, we're actually fighting. And, uh, and so I want to I wanna hopefully increase your faith around this revelation uh, and the table of the Lord. Is that cool? Yes. All right. Um, so Upper Room, every, every, every uh, Sunday back in the day, 2010, we started, we would always start out with a communion service. And uh, it's so intrinsic to who we are. I grew up in the Churches of Christ, which if, if, if you don't know much about the Churches of Christ, fairly conservative 
uh, part of, of the body. Like we didn't have instruments. Um, it, it was just a really unique expression of Christianity growing up. But one of the things we did is we took communion every stinking Sunday. It's what I remember. It's why we gathered. And I am so thankful uh, for that revelation around the table. Uh, <clears throat> and, and, and it was instilled into me, but it was, it was oftentimes uh, very religious. I was afraid actually to come to the table because of some scriptures that were read often, like you better examine yourself, you better not eat this meal in an unworthy fashion. And, and so I would prep by like listing off all my sins. I would draw pictures of crosses and like, I've got to get my heart right to come to this table. But what, what I've learned over time is this table is actually what makes us right. That, that we can't we can't come to the table worthy because it's the table that makes us worthy. And so I want to I wanna kind of maybe debunk some, some of those scriptures here in 1 Corinthians 11. I think it's a really important text. Um, and so let's, let's dive in. 1 Corinthians 11 verse uh, 23 is where we'll start. I had some notes prepared for today, and then I realized I didn't charge my iPad. <laughs> Preacher fail. Um, <clears throat> all right, verse, verse, verse 23. This is Paul's insight around the table of the Lord. And, uh, and it's one of the most descriptive, instructive texts about the table. So Paul says this. He says, for I received from the Lord. So this is a direct revelation that Paul received from the Lord about the table. Uh, and I, I think it's really important to, to notice that, that Paul received it. So it was the Lord giving it to Paul. And, and I think that kind of frames the table itself. We never take communion. We always receive it. We never take anything from the table. We receive it from the Lord's hand. It's the table that he's prepared for us. And so he gives us this meal. So when you come to the table, you're coming in a posture to receive what he's ready to give you. And Paul starts out this revelation by, hey, I actually received this from the Lord. Now, we don't know when Paul received it from the Lord. Uh, he doesn't tell us when, but it, it would have been a direct encounter that he would have had with Jesus, and Jesus himself instructs Paul on this meal. And, and the first couple of verses, there's nothing new. So I'm like, Paul, okay, if you receive something specifically from Jesus, what did Jesus give you intel to that maybe we don't have anywhere else? And I want to show you what I think Paul uh, received directly from the Lord that's new intel. Anyone want to see that? So the first couple of verses aren't that. We can read the Gospels. You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can see these descriptions of communion around what Paul gives us. So let's, let's read through that. So for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the, uh, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took the bread. So I, I think the circumstances surround the table are important, that it was the night he was betrayed, that Jesus had an enemy at his table. Jesus had a friend at his table that would betray him and would betray him unto death, would turn him over to be persecuted, to be beaten, to be murdered. So there was a betrayer at the table. And anytime the table scripturally is mentioned, it's always in the midst of warfare or uh, circumstances that, that, uh, that would be defined as enemies or, or you know, clinging of swords. And so uh, Abraham, when he's coming off the battlefield in Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek comes with uh, bread and wine, and he serves Abraham, again, coming off a battlefield. Uh, the, the Passover meal was instituted, which this meal is the Passover meal in the new covenant, but it was instituted uh, the night that 
that, that an angel of death would pass over Israel's enemies and it would be the trigger for them to be released from captivity. So the table, again, you have enemies surrounding God's people and he leads them to a meal. Uh, David would say in Psalms 23, 5, which we talked about this, in the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table for me. So there's something about the betrayer at the table that we need to like, we need, to, we need to renew our minds around the purpose of the table, that when a battle breaks out, that you run to this chair. I remember my mother-in-law a few years ago, she's a, 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 I married into a dairy family, so my, my father-in-law has like 10,000 plus dairy cows. I'm a North Dallas kid, and so I, for time's sake, I'm not going to share dairy stories, but I've got a bunch of them <laughs> about how he, he hazed me as a North Dallas kid, like taking me out to the dairy and helping calves that were in breach, you know, like it was just, it was, it was, it was exciting. And what I realized after now knowing him a few years is the only time he would go out into the actual dairy and walk it is when I was there. He was like, he never did that except when the North Dallas kid dating the daughter was there. But, um, there was a wildfire that had broken out in Eastern New Mexico and, uh, and you know, the winds there 60, 70 miles an hour pretty regularly. And uh, it was taking out dairy after dairy, destroying dairies. And my mother-in-law uh, sent us a text and said, the winds have shifted. Uh, it, is, it is within a few, uh, less than 100 yards of our dairy. And, uh, and she said, would you please pray? I'm going to the table. And so she went into her closet and she began taking communion over her dairy. And within minutes, the wind shifted, the fires redirected, and the dairy was spared. And I just, I use that story as, 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 as an evidence of the power when circumstances surrounding us, enemies surround us, we come to the table of the Lord, we find what we need, whether it's wildfires about to burn a dairy or a diagnosis or friends that have betrayed you or uh, financial circumstances, we can come to this table and find our answer. And so uh, here he says, for in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and uh, verse 24, when he had given thanks, so thanksgiving so important to the table, uh, he broke it and he said this, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Not new intel. Uh, given thanks, broken body, that's Matthew chapter, uh, I think it's 26. He, he institutes this meal. Verse 25, in the same way he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus talks about the body, he talks about the cup, talks about the new covenant, talks about giving thanks, talks about the betrayer at the table. Uh, but again, all of that is found in the gospels, but it's verse 26. Verse 26 is, is the revelation that Paul received from the Lord. And I, I think it's, if, as you come to the table, this to me is, is the best framework for the body and the blood. Uh, and it says this, for as often... For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's unpack this a little bit. Um, Paul says, for as often. Now, I think this is how often you can take the meal. For as often as you want. Meaning at any time, anyone facing anything, uh, the table of the Lord is your go-to. I, I know a woman that had uh, ovarian cancer stage four, and she tapped into this revelation because Paul later on in this, this scripture is going to say, because you're not rightly taking this meal, many of you are weak, sick, and dying. 
Many of you are weak, sick, and dying because you're not rightly taking this meal. Now, that's, that's kind of convicting. Like, this is why I was scared to come to the table. I don't want to die. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, my gosh. So, so, but she tapped into the power of this meal and the purpose of it. And she said, as often as they give me chemo, as often as they uh, write up prescriptions, diagnoses, I'm coming to the meal. She was taking communion up to 20 times a day. And she said, I'm going to do all that the doctors tell me, but Lord, this is the source of my healing. And the Lord completely healed her of stage four cancer. She wrote a book, Barbara Nowen is her name. She wrote a book called The Healing Power of Communion. And, uh, and again, I think there's, there's, there's such power in this, but um, for as often as you want to take this, uh, you, you, you eat it and you drink it. Another revelation is uh, the, the activity that brought the curse is actually the activity that breaks the curse. Because Adam and Eve, uh, it was through a bite that sin entered in. And the Lord now leads us to a table. And to reverse the curse, he feeds us. To reverse the curse, the activity of eating, which they were commanded not to do. Now he says, no, I want you to eat as much as you can. <laughs> and I want you to eat of me. And so eating is so crucial to, uh, to us as believers. And so he says, you eat, you drink. Now, now here's, here's, here's what has really blessed me. Um, it says, when you're coming to this table, you proclaim. Everyone say proclaim. So every other time in the New Testament, this word is used. It's used as someone preaching like I'm doing. It's someone that's decreeing or preaching throughout the book of Acts. Anytime this specific word was used, someone was standing up proclaiming the gospel. So you may never have a boy band mic like this and a podium. <laughs> and be able to preach to people, but you have a message and the message is found at the table. And you need to be familiar with this message. Now faith comes by what? Hearing. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And so when we take this meal, we're proclaiming a message because we are building up our faith through the elements that were provided here. So the way that you build your faith up is you become very familiar with the message of this meal. And uh, you know, faith isn't, it's not a prayer. It's not like, a, a, <laughs> I think sometimes in the charismatic world, it's like, it's like a muscle that we flex or a prayer that we shout. Uh, faith is an eardrum. Faith comes by hearing. It's what you're, what you're attuning and submitting your ear to. And so this table speaks. This table proclaims. And when there's circumstances, relationships, when there's things attempting to bring fear, attempting to bring uh, something contrary to the promises that God's spoken to you, you bring those enemies to this table and you begin to proclaim over them what he has provided for you. And Paul's gonna say that. He's gonna say, listen, as often as you drink, eat, you proclaim, what do you proclaim? The Lord's life? It doesn't say that. What does it say? For as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim his death. You proclaim his death. You proclaim what he's done. You proclaim what he went through. And then it says you proclaim his death until he returns. Now, I think this is like nuclear in the spirit. I think the enemy hates this revelation. I think it's why Jesus came to Paul specifically to say, hey, write this in the Bible. When they come to this table, this is the power of what they're doing. They're looking back at what was, but the one whose death we're proclaiming, it says we proclaim his death until... We proclaim his death until, we proclaim his death until what? He returns. So this is, this is, this is, this is, this is important. We're proclaiming his death, meaning we're proclaiming the one who came from heaven, the word made flesh, that lived a perfect life, blameless, spotless, lamb of God. No one took his life, he gave it. 
And when, when he gave his life, his, his life, that, that, the death of Jesus was very specific. And what I've been doing when I take the body and the blood is I do a forensic on his offering because it was with intent. Everything he did was with intent for your redemption. So when you're proclaiming his death, you look at, okay, what? Uh, when did it begin? Well, it began when bloodshed started coming down his forehead as he was praying. Then you have the whipping post. You have the nails. You have the, the, just the, the, the immense torture that he went through. Um, we're not going to talk about the blood this morning, but there's seven places that blood was shed out of Jesus' body. And every one of those places has redemptive purposes. His blood was precious. It's the, most, it's the most powerful substance to ever touch the face of the earth, the blood of Jesus. There's been nothing like it before or since. The blood of Jesus, God's blood was shed on the earth. And, 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 and it wasn't random that his blood came out. It was with specific intent. Like the priests, when they killed the lambs, they had intent with the blood. There were specific purposes for that blood, offerings to redeem the people of Israel. Now, the blood of bulls and goats can never redeem it, but it was pointing to a greater reality, and it was the Lamb of God who would shed his blood. And I believe the Holy Spirit was collecting all of his blood. Every drop that fell was collected and would be offered in a heavenly sanctuary so that you can boldly approach the, the throne of grace. Yes. It's by his blood that you draw near. It's not on account of you, it's not on account of your belief theology, it's on your account of putting your trust in what he did for you. And the death of Jesus is a message to us that he did what we could not. And that blood is so, so, so crucial and it's still warm before the eyes of the Father. And I wanna, I wanna, I wanna admonish this. I was reading this uh, this week and I felt like it was for uh, Upper Room Frisco. Exodus chapter 12 is the, is the uh, institution of blood. And he commands via Moses, he calls the fathers of Israel and he says, I want you to take a lamb, each family is to take a lamb and it's to drain the blood of the lamb in a basin and then to take the blood that's found in the basin and put it at the lentil of your door. And then when the destroyer comes by, it says when the, actually it says this, when the Lord sees the blood, that the destroyer will pass by. It says when the Lord sees the blood. It doesn't say when you see the blood, it says when the Lord sees the blood. So it doesn't really matter what we think of this meal. It matters what he thinks when he sees it. And that's what we're putting our faith in is his perspective of this. But here's what I felt like was so important, and I think it's really important over the next couple of months for Frisco, is that he commanded the fathers to put the blood over the home. The fathers, if they abdicated their role to be spiritual leaders of their family, their firstborns would pay the consequences. And I think we need male leadership in homes, we need men to take their priestly role. And I think one of the things you can do is plead the blood of Jesus over your house. I think there's power in your prayers, men. There's power in you pleading the blood of Jesus over your marriage and over your kids. And I think for too long, like, like as the family goes, so the nation goes. As the marriage goes, so the family goes. But I think the husband, I think your leadership is so crucial in your family, and in Frisco, Texas, we need strong, godly, zealous men after Jesus. Like where I am in, 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 in Millennialville, uptown, like, like down there where it's, it's like post-Christian, families have left, I got a bunch of millennials that I'm shepherding. And so I would tell them, we need millennials on fire for Jesus. We need millennials that just have burning hearts. Whenever someone gets around you and you're a millennial, they know 
who you've been sitting with. And I would say the same for fathers in Frisco. We need to model what it looks like to be radical lovers of Jesus. He is breaking cultural Christianity over his knee. And I think it's why communities like this are emerging. Like I've, I, hour and 15 minutes of worship is not long compared to the week and all that you endure. And so radical guys going after the Lord, radical families going after the Lord, but I really think that's important, uh, that revelation of the fathers applying the blood. But back to Jesus. He shed his blood in seven places, uh, and then he died. So we're proclaiming his death, but the one who died was buried. The one that was buried was, well, he actually went into Hades itself, proclaimed the gospel there. The Holy Spirit came into his body, resurrected his body. So the one that was dead, buried, was resurrected. Then he revealed himself for 40 days. On the 40th day, he ascended. As he ascended, the father saw him entering and he was exalted, given the name above all names. After he was exalted, he was seated. And to this morning, he's seated next to the right hand of his father. Now, the one who's seated at the right hand of his father, who implemented this meal, has not eaten this meal since the night he was betrayed. And he's waiting for his father to take a deep breath and say, you can go now because no one knows the time that the son is coming back except the father. So he's still living in relationship with the father, waiting for him to say go. But when he says go, guess what he's coming back to? The table. So as we proclaim his death, we proclaim his return, but his return is unto the wedding supper of the lamb. It's all leading to this meal. So this meal is about what was, but it's also about what's to come. So in the midst of what is, we proclaim what was and we put our hope in what will be. So it's three realities. It's, it's, it's that he came, he's coming, so come. This is Maranatha. Lord, you came, you're coming, so come. In the midst of what is, I look back to what was, I see what will be, and it transforms me in the moment because of what you've provided. Does everyone see that? Okay, so to me, like, wear out verse 26. May this in your Bible just be a well-worn path that you walk through for as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So let me, for uh, time's sake, just run through uh, the rest of this, and then we'll take it together. Uh, verse 27, therefore, so here's instruction. Here's instruction based on what he received from the Lord. So this isn't what he received from the Lord. This is Paul's application. Therefore, whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he's to eat the bread and drink the cup. So this is where I used to stumble because then in verse 29, it's like, for he who eats, the drink, eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many of you are weak, sick, and a number asleep. So let's just unpack this very quickly. Uh, verse 27, um, eat or drink uh, the, Lord, the Lord's supper in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood. So Paul, Paul's addressing a contextual matter where the rich were excluding the poor from the table. And so the, the, the idea isn't that you have to be worthy to come to the table. It's taking this meal uh, with irreverence. It's taking this meal like any other meal. It's not, it's not acknowledging the power of this meal. So when you come to this meal, you need to distinguish it from any other meal that you eat. You need to come to this table, submitted to it, understanding that this is the Lord's table and he's feeding you. So again, it's not talking about you being worthy to take it. It's talking about you taking it in a reverent, worthy manner. Because if you don't, then, then, then it, it renders this meal powerless. If you don't judge this meal rightly, then you're under the judgment that you were under prior to knowing the Lord. This meal breaks the judgment. It's not that when you take it, you break the judgment. It's coming to the revelation that the offering made for you breaks that judgment. 
So follow me here. Uh, Therefore, he eats, the drinks, uh, eats and drinks a cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood. But a man must examine himself. And in doing so, he's to eat the bread and drink the cup. So what does it mean to examine himself? Uh, I used to think this is where I would start writing out sins. Um, I'm examining my week and I better bring all my sins. Um, but I don't think Paul means that. I think Paul uh, is speaking about something else. And I let the Bible interpret the Bible. So I looked in this letter, did Paul ever once again tell the people at Corinth to examine themselves, and he does in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. In his next letter to them, he tells them to examine himself. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Can you throw that up for me, Chad? <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 13, 5, there we go. Test yourself to see if you're in the what? Faith, examine yourselves. So he's using the same word, examine yourself. But what are you examining yourself? You're testing yourself to see if you're in the what? In the faith. So I believe that a way you can interpret 1 Corinthians chapter 11 based on 2 Corinthians 13 is when you come to the table, you need to examine yourself, but you're not examining yourself for sin. You're not examining yourself for, for like, you're examining yourself for faith because of what you're partaking in. Now that might involve confession. It might involve you 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 dealing with some issues in your heart and your life, but you want to remove those so that you can approach this in faith. Because the just walk by what? Faith. We eat by faith. And so we examine ourselves for faith in what has been provided. So we eat it uh, by examining ourselves for faith. In doing so, eating and drinking, uh, verse 29, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, he does not judge the body rightly. Now, I don't feel like I'm able to do justice because it's noon and I want to honor the, the, the children's ministry, but, but watch this. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, and again, I think this is about rightly approaching the table, but look at this. If he does not judge the body rightly, you see how it, it doesn't say the blood rightly. It says does not judge the body rightly. So there's something about judging the body because in the next verse, verse 30, it says for this reason. What reason? Not judging the body rightly. Does everyone see that? Yeah. You don't judge the body rightly for this reason. What's the reason? It's not reasons. It's reason. It's singular. And the, the verse prior says you did not judge the body rightly. Well, the blood has purpose and the body has purpose. Uh, the blood deals with sin. Sin can't be removed without shedding of blood. Read Hebrews, awesome. But the body is very specific. It, it was, Jesus' body was broken for redemptive purposes. And, uh, and, and there's a couple of them, but I think the primary one, the primary reason we receive Jesus' body is for our physical well-being. And, and I think that's what Paul's saying here in verse 30. He says, for many of you are weak, you are sick, and dying prematurely. And I think this is an invitation for us to be strong, healthy, and live out the number of our days so that we can fulfill the destiny that God has for us. Amen. All right? But how do we do that? We judge the body rightly. What's the body? The body is his broken, broken body. Uh, the most specific... Um, the most specific thing that his body went through was the whipping post. 
and he didn't have to go to the whipping post. Most uh, criminals were not, uh, they didn't go to the whipping post and crucifixion. It, it, was, it, was in, it was rare that this would happen. But he went to the whipping post for a purpose. He, he, his life was not taken, he gave his life. And so he went to the whipping post, it was with intent, and if you do a forensics on it, if you, if you study out why he went to the whipping post, it was for our physical healing. First uh, Peter chapter uh, two says, for by his stripes, we've been what? Healed. We've been healed. What are his stripes? His stripes are the ribbons of flesh that came off of his back. And, and <clears throat> again, there's a, there's a lot to this. Uh, it's Isaiah 53. But we have a phrase in my home, um, and, and it came through uh, a revelation that, that I was listening to a preacher talk about this, and this preacher was talking about uh, the medical world, and, and he was talking about these codes that are in the medical world. And when he was preaching, I actually didn't believe him because anytime a preacher starts talking about medicine or something outside their field, I'm like, oh, this is, is this really true? And so I went and I started studying it because he was talking about this specific thing, the 39 lashes. He talked about IDC codes, and uh, the IDC codes, can you put those up there? Uh, the, it's the International Disease Codes. I don't know if you were able to get that. Uh, this is how they categorize diseases. The, the World Health Organization globally has determined that, hey, we're going to categorize diseases, and under each category, category, these big categories, anything, any ailment you have, a doctor will put a number to it. And that way it's classified where you know, diseases universally, we can see what that is. And so in uh, 2010, I think this is IDC-10, uh, they came out with the categories. And so you have like infectious disorders, infertility disorders, neoplasms, and all the stuff, skin and whatever that is, uh, congenital injuries, substance abuse, neurological disorders, keep going, cardiovascular, toxic effects of substances, respiratory disorders, dental disorders, keep going, complications, medical disorders, breast disorders, health disorders, pregnancy, childbirth, okay, keep going. Oh, we can't keep going, why? Because there's 39 categories. Why are there 39 categories? Because there were 39 lashes. And the saying that we have in my household is, hey, you know what? There, there's a stripe for that. There's a, there's, a, there's a ribbon for that. Like when there's an ail ailment, do we go to the doctor? Yes. I mean, I'm taking, I'm taking antibiotics right now. I had a cold a couple weeks ago and I actually stopped taking the antibiotics. I had to go back to the doctor and said, hey, I didn't finish my antibiotics. Can you send me some more? He did. So I, I'm not like anti-medicine, but as much as I've been taking antibodies, I've also been coming to the table of the Lord. I've been taking it. And I think sometimes we treat the table of the Lord like antibodies, like we, we, we take it just enough to like feel normal again, but he doesn't throw us into this realm of, of wholeness that I believe the meal has prepared us for. And so do we go to the pharmacy? Yes. Can you go to the doctor? Yes. But prior to maybe calling your doctor and going to the pharmacy, come to the table. Come and say, wow, there's a stripe for me here. And it's more than just taking it once a Sunday. Maybe you take it every day for a season. Maybe you take it multiple times a day. I don't know. But I know that the Lord wants to feed you. He wants to feed you specifically. Where we're heading, second-hand revelations of Jesus aren't going to cut it. We need first-hand connection to him. First-hand connection to him. And the table of the Lord is where you go to receive that. Yes. Truly believe it with all of my heart. You know, I preached this sermon back in... Uh, uh, 2016, uh, the upper room. I was going to share some of the upper room story, but but again, just for time's sake, I didn't want to do that. Um, but we didn't do media for the longest time. Like it was just God burst something in a manger, and I didn't think it was a church. I was ready to actually plant a church in Frisco. I know Frisco. I would love to be pastoring up here with Jeremy. I love Frisco. Like like 
I get Frisco. I get this area. But Oak Lawn, where we planted it, it's not Frisco. Um, it is the neighborhood, man. Like the, the crosswalks are rainbows down there. Uh, the, the, it's just, it's, it's, I was hit on so much in those early days of upper room. Like, I'm like, Lord, you found the wrong guy. Send me to Frisco. Send me up there. I want to go to Frisco. I don't want to be in Oakland. And, uh, and it was the death of me. And he, 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 he said, son, I, I didn't call you down here to minister to them first. I first called you down here to minister to me. And it really set the DNA of our church of like creating a resting place for the Lord. But it was really clear in the early days about not, um, not, not uh, marking it. Don't marking it. Don't mark it. Don't mark it. And I was like, what does that mean? And so I tried to get a website. And I'm like, don't mark it. If you get a website, the Lord will kill this. And I'm like, okay. So I tried again like a year later. Don't mark this. So we didn't have a website for five, six years. We didn't have social media. We didn't do YouTube, podcasts, none of that. We just had this testimony that was floating out in the city. And so people would show up. Uh, and then we just had prayer hours. We didn't even announce the prayer hours. We had prayer hours. And I'm like, Lord, this is the most unconventional way to plant a church. Well, fast forward in 2016 into 17, a friend of mine had a word that the Lord was putting an HDMI cable in his mouth. And the word was he's ready to speak through media. And I said, Lord, if you're ready to speak through media, like you've said no for like really, really intensely, what would a yes look like? And so I was praying and I was reading Acts 20 where Eutychus falls out of the upper room. It's a young adult that falls out of a three-story building. It's called an upper room. He dies. Paul runs downstairs, lays himself on this young man. He's raised to, from the dead and brought back up into the upper room. And, uh, and I saw the Lord with an IV bag. And you know how an IV bag has the drip line and, and he connected it. And I felt just in my spirit, you know how the Lord is, that, that, that he was connecting it to a generation that had fallen out of the church. And, and I saw him turn it on and it started dripping. And I felt him say, drip moments of your culture, meaning upper room, because on the IV bag it said upper room. Drip moments of your culture into a dying generation and watch what I do. So I went to our barista and I'm like, hey, dude, what, what does this mean? I, maybe you know any, something. And when in doubt, if you're not technologically advanced, go to the barista. So I went to the barista and I'm like, hey, can you help me out here? He goes, let's get two GoPro cameras and a YouTube channel and start putting stuff online. And I was like, all right. And so we just started recording like saucy, bossy moments, like, when God showed up, we would take it and we'd put it onto YouTube. And like our second moment was uh, Abby singing a song. And, and we looked at our deals and the guy's like, hey, this has millions of views in a week. And I'm like, is that good? And they're like, this is awesome, man. This is what's called something going viral. And we were like, oh my gosh, well, let's keep recording them and putting them online. So, uh, so that kind of like launched Upper Room becoming this worship deal internationally. Like that first year of our YouTube channel, so we started it in 2016. The first year of our YouTube channel, they had 365 years worth of views in one year. So every day there was a year worth of viewing on our channel. It was kind of like mind blowing and then the number of nations. But I say all that to say this. Um, in that season when we got the YouTube channel, I, uh, I was preaching this message around 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. but I was preaching on the blood specifically, so we focused on the body here, but I was preaching on the blood. And the blood speaks, and, and at the end of this message, I thought, well, if the blood has a voice and the blood speaks, because that's Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of uh, Abel, um, then, then maybe our singers can come up and sing what maybe the blood is saying after this message. It was just a thought that I had. And so we called him up and Elissa was leading that night 
and she had written a song uh, in the prayer room with her brother and like two other people in the room that she'd never sung publicly. And so she tells the band the key as they're going up here and we're kind of entering into ministry time. She tells the band the key, the key, band starts playing and she starts singing. Again, this song had never been sung outside of a list on a piano. And they pick it up and she sings these words. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm, and the band starts picking up and it becomes this moment for like 20 minutes. So we throw that online. Again, the drip. And uh, a couple weeks later, Michael W. Smith calls us. And his producer had told Michael, you're missing a song because he's about to come out with a worship album. And in the early aughts, he came out with a worship album that had, let it rain, open the floodgates of heaven, which is awesome, but it really marked that, that album. And they were missing a song like that. And when Michael W. heard this, again, drip from our GoPro spontaneous moment, he said, that song's supposed to be on my album. He named his album Surrounded. And within six months, eight months of us releasing that moment, the entire church is singing. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. Now, most people don't know the story of that song or how it came about, but I do. And I know the reason the Lord was putting that song in the church's body is because he's inviting us to the table. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. Where? At the table of the Lord. Now, so let's eat. Sorry I went over a little bit. Forgive me, child care workers. I am... I used to be like, man, the childcare workers just need more faith. They just got to go through it. And then I have four kids and I'm like, oh my gosh, we got to hurry. <laughs> Get us out of here. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I used to be like, people with kids, oh, you guys, you guys need more faith. And then I have them and I'm like, oh my Lord, forgive me for ever thinking that. Um, so, hey, I, I just want to, let's take the body. Uh, it was broken for you. There's a stripe for it. Every diagnosis in the room. I want you to bring it to the table and proclaim his message over whatever that is. Now, the Bible says, who believes the report of the Lord? This is the report of the Lord. So we lift up your report over every report. We've had testimony specifically in the last two weeks of mental disorders like anxiety, obsessive compulsive, panic disorders, sleep disorders, a lot of emotional disorders the Lord's restored through the body. And so I just want to release that to you guys that Jesus, you're restoring souls. You're restoring souls. Where souls are fractured, Lord, your body was broken so that we could have shalom, wholeness. We just proclaim that, Lord. In Jesus' name, we receive this body, a stripe for us. Amen. And then the cup of the Lord. Lord, your blood was shed in seven places, and uh, we remember that, and that blood was offered on the mercy seat for us. It's by your blood we're able to draw near, and your blood speaks, Lord, your blood speaks forgiven, it speaks mercy, Lord, your blood speaks, it speaks redemption, it speaks justified, it speaks, Lord, that we've been cleansed, it speaks, Lord, that we've been made righteous, it speaks, Lord, that we are whole, it speaks, Lord, that your life is now in us, Lord, you came to give us life and life abundantly, and life is found in this cup, your life is found in this cup, Lord. Uh, Leviticus 17.3 says, the life of a being is found in the blood, and Lord, your life is found in your blood. 
And uh, we, we want to put our faith in that. So right now, renew our minds to see what you see when we look at this cup. This is your son's shed blood. What Adam lost has been restored through the second Adam. And Lord, we are now in your bloodline. Lord, I break every curse, gener- generational curse, Lord, every, every, uh, everything that we've inherited, Father, whether it's disease, sickness, mindsets, generational things, generational patterns, we just say those are broken off because of your blood. We're under a new bloodline in Jesus' name. Our kids are under a new bloodline, Lord. We declare the river of your blood, that your river, Lord, your river flows. The blood of your, the, the river of your blood flows to us and through us and so we, Lord, release this over our homes. We put it, Father, over wombs. I just place it, Lord, where people are, are infertile in, in or, or having uh, problems, Lord, getting pregnant. We just plead your blood, Lord, that your blood releases life, 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 life over barrenness in Jesus' name, God. We proclaim your life. We proclaim your blood. We proclaim that all sin is removed. This is the most powerful substance, Lord, that we have access to, and it can remove sin. The sin of yesterday, the sin of this morning, the sin of last week, we give you thanks that by your blood, Lord, we are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, you cannot call into account our sins because of your son's blood. And we believe this and receive it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.